0: 2 Corinthians 13 for this morning. You know, there uh, sometimes after church, people come out and they'll say, uh, "Ran, you, you weren't preach today. You went to meddling." Well, you're gonna be meddling today, unfortunately. Now, unfortunately, in one aspect, the sense that we don't always like people to get in and stir up our lives, fortunately, in the sense that it's not my fault, it's what God says, okay? And that it is necessary to get into our lives and stir it up a little bit so that we see what is true. That we, as Scripture says today, examine ourselves. So often we hate to examine ourselves. You know, I like to examine you. Okay, I can see what's wrong in your life. But scripture says examine yourself. Why? To see if you are in the faith. Ooh, in the faith. Of course I'm in the faith. I'm Presbyterian. Come on. That's not good enough. Test it. That's what the Lord says to us today. So if you're able, please stand and I'll read 2 Corinthians 13. 5 through 10. Heavenly Father, please come upon us today that we might be honest with ourselves as we look into scripture and hold our lives up in comparison. Might we be both challenged and encouraged. Challenged to conform ourselves to what your word says. Encouraged to see how you have worked in our lives, how we have been obedient And, Lord, then how we can continue to walk that path. Open our eyes to this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 through 10. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we should appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. For this reason I am writing these things while absent, in order that when present I may not use severity in accordance with the authority which with the Lord has Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. This is God's inspired word for us today. Please be seated. Paul talks a little ironically, sarcastically, and some other things. And and you know, we, we've touched upon that just in, in briefly as as his tone has changed throughout Second Corinthians, sometimes he says, you know, I'm willing to fail if you all would just succeed. And he kind of does that same thing here. But today, we're just going to focus on one little portion that says test yourselves. Testing is part of our normal lives, something we so often take for granted. We're all subject to a variety of sorts of tests in our lifetime, academic, medical, professional, I mean, for instance, if you want to drive, what do you have to do? You have to take a written test or the test on the computer. You have to take a driving test. Uh, If you want to drive other vehicles, you have to do the same thing for those above and beyond, just a normal car. Uh, We have, um, if you want to be a a lawyer, you have to take the LSATs, and then you have to take the bar exam after you finished. If you want to be a doctor, uh, a nurse, even a minister, you have to take comprehensive exams to see if you have learned enough to go about your profession or your calling and of course there are also personal tests that none of us can avoid illness failures suffering financial pressures moral temptations all these things are tests that come upon us and of course for those who are married a test how do you live with somebody who is so different than you okay how do you live with somebody who some days you don't understand But yes, that is a test that is given to us by the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 13, we are called to voluntarily test ourselves. It's not as if the Lord is going to come down and say, I'm going to test you on this issue. He may test you in other areas. But on this one, he says, examine yourself. Test yourself. Examine your lives and see if you're in the faith. Paul's first letter. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, he says, examine yourselves prior to celebrating the Lord's Supper because you don't want to do that. You don't want to partake in a manner that is unworthy. You would drink, eat and drink damnation upon yourselves. So this testing, this t- verse five, test yourselves. This word testing is to examine and it is an objective evaluation, an objective evaluation it is not subjective. Test yourself. I feel like I'm saved, so I feel like I'm in the faith. That is subjective. There are objective evidences if you are in the faith or not. And that's what Paul says you have to hold your life up against. We have to ask ourselves am I truly born again or am I just putting up a front? Is Christ my Lord and Savior? Or am I simply going through the motions? Have I been so acculturated that I'm just going along the path that everybody else in my world is going along and I'm living to look like it, but I haven't really been changed in my heart? You have to ask the most fundamental question. Not do I know of what Scripture says. Has my life been changed by Jesus Christ? That's what it says. Test yourself. Kind of testing Paul envisions is that which proves the worthiness or genuineness of an item. Proves the genuineness of an item. So in this case, it's the Corinthians' faith that's to be proven. Are you in the faith? The Corinthians profess faith in Christ, but did their lives match their profession? Did their lives match their profession? You, you, because you know, it, it's evident. If you say one thing, but you go and do another, that's that's a problem. You come, you're new in town, and you, you move into a neighborhood, and there over on the edge of the neighborhood's, a, you know, kind of a medical area, and you say, well, I've got to find a new doctor. So you go over there, and you, you go in, and that one's taking new patients, and, and you go in, and you, you ask him a question. You say, are you a good doctor? And he says, oh, yeah, I'm a great doctor. Now, you'll you'll know that 80% of my patients die under my care, but I'm a very good doctor. Yeah? Well, it's tax time. You pick an accountant. You go down and, and you say, are you a good accountant? And the accountant says, well, yes, I'm very good. I'm very learned in the tax laws. I'll do a fine job. Now, you'll hear that 8% of my you know, my customers go to jail for tax fraud. But it's not my fault. I'm a very good accountant. Just apply that anywhere. Apply that anywhere. 1615, Cervantes published Don Quixote with this quote in it. The proof of the pudding is the eating We've just shortened it to say the proof is in the pudding. That's what it is. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding. It, in context, it meant we don't really know if the food is good until we what? Eat it. And we'll know if it tastes good, it's good food. Okay. The same thing is true in our lives. How do you know that you are what you say you are? Because there should be proof. Objective proof. How do we know if that person is in the faith? There should be fruit. There should be proof. And that's what Paul is saying. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. What should be some of the proof? Well, obviously, uh, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. These types of things. These should be some of the evidences that we are in the faith, that we belong to Jesus Christ. Not that we will ever do these things perfectly. Okay, You will never love God. Perfectly. You will never be patient perfectly. You will never be completely self-controlled. You will never be perfectly gentle. But we are striving for these things. And Paul obviously is saying to the Corinthians, you're not cutting it. You're not cutting it. So examine yourselves. If you profess to be a Christian, then the evidence is that, that I am what I profess to be. Have I really appropriated the gifts that the Lord has given to me? Do I genuinely believe? What do you look for in the life of a person to discern this? What do you look for in your own lives to discern these things? Well, I came up with some lists. I don't usually give lists. You know, I don't want to give you the ten thin things to know that you're um, walking in, in the Lord's will. I usually don't do that. I just lay things out and, and you have to work on it. I actually came up with lists this time and I've pulled them from a variety of places. The first is a list of things that don't prove or disprove that you are a Christian. Things that neither prove nor disprove you are a Christian. First is visible morality. Now, some people are just good people. We know some people that that maybe are are members of a sect or a cult, and and they're just, in fact, they're even better people than than some of the people that I know that profess faith. They're just nicer people, right? Visible morality is not a guarantee that you are a believer. Oh, these people, they're honest, they're forthright, they're kind people. They have a visible external type of morality, but there's nothing changed on the inside. They are good people. And, you know, we, I, I would not come up and say to a person, well, no, you're not any good. Be, you know, yes, you're kind. You're kinder than I am. You're more patient than I am. But you know what? You're a dirt because you're not saved. That's not the way to win them to Christ, okay? You want to be an encourager and say, well, why do you live out that morality in that fashion, okay? Let me tell you about the basis for this. But visible morality is not a sign either of salvation or not salvation. It doesn't necessarily mean you are saved. Intellectual knowledge, the second one. This doesn't prove true faith. Knowledge of the truth is necessary for salvation, but knowledge of the truth does not necessitate salvation. You can be in and around the the correct teachings and knowledge of Christ for all your life and never believe Is there any one person you would think that would be evidence of that? Judas Iscariot. Three years with Christ. Walking beside him. Seeing the miraculous things done. Knowing all of his teaching. And what did he do? He turned on Christ. He did not believe. Hebrews chapter 10 says, you're treading underfoot the blood of Christ by not believing what you know is true. There are plenty of people who have been in church for years and years. They know up here in their heads what is true, but yet they do not believe in their hearts. They have not been changed by Jesus Christ. Intellectual knowledge is not evidence of saving faith. You'll never be saved without knowledge, but having that knowledge does not necessarily save you. Religious involvement. Now, there are people, number three, religious involvement. There are people who have, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, a form of godliness but are powerless. They have a form of godliness, but there is no power associated with that because their lives have not been truly changed. It's an empty kind of religion. Matthew chapter 25, you have the uh, ten virgins who are waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. And here you have them all. They have their lamps lit. And five of them have their lamps go out because they are not prepared. They don't have enough oil. So they run off to get some more. And what happens while they're gone? The bridegroom comes. He collects the five and takes them away. The other five show up. This is too late. It's too late for you. That which was most necessary in their lives was missing. It was missing. They were religious. They weren't believers. There's a distinction there. You can have an external morality, an intellectual knowledge, a religious involvement, but it may not indicate genuine faith. Fourth one, you can have an active ministry. And that doesn't prove that you have genuine faith. Some examples, the Old Testament, the prophet Balaam. He was a prophet. Not exercising genuine faith Saul of Tarsus he was involved in what in what type of ministry was Saul involved with killing Christians (laughs) okay and in his mind that was a good and worthwhile ministry but was it no no it was not Judas an apostle involved for three years no evidence of faith Matthew chapter 7 many will say to me Lord Lord have we not prophesied in your name have we not done many wonderful works and what will he say to them Depart from me, I don't, I don't know you. Depart from me. Involvement in ministry is not necessarily evidence of saving faith. Conviction of sin. You might feel convicted of your sin. You might feel guilt for your sin, even though much of our society is geared at getting, getting away from guilt. You might be convicted of your sin, but do you understand who it is that you have sinned against? Now the prodigal understood. The prodigal son, what does he say? I have sinned against God and against you. And he's talking to his father. He understood where the root of his sin, who it most offended. Now you can be convicted of your sin, but if you're not convicted that your sin is in before God and you have offended our Heavenly Father, the conviction of sin really doesn't, doesn't do anything for you. Just because people feel guilt does not mean they're ready to repent and turn from that and seek the face of God. Six, assurance. Whoa, oh. Now, we work very hard at finding assurance. Scripture says you should feel, you should know that you are in the faith. Well, ran, I feel like a Christian. Ooh, I feel like a professional golfer some days. I'm going to tell you what. Okay. Am I? No. Okay, you can feel like a Christian, but that does not mean that you are. Many people feel sure that they are saved. But they are not. There are going to be millions and millions of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian scientists that we will not see in heaven. But they feel like they're going to heaven. They're not. Seven. Things that last thing I have that does not neither prove does not prove nor disprove that you are in the faith. A time of decision. Now I say this as one who can point to the pretty much the exact moment when Christ opened my eyes. So I have a time of decision, but that time of decision does not necessitate that you are saved. I remember when I signed a card, you might say. I remember I prayed a prayer. I went forward in the church service. I remember right there the moment I became a Christian. Okay? What has happened in your life since that moment? Is there any Objective evidence that your life was completely changed? Is there any fruit that you have produced? Simply signing a card, praying a prayer, does not guarantee that you're saved. It says, examine yourselves, show evidence of your salvation. Now, none of these activities, the things that I have said, guarantees that the individual has saving faith. Okay? Now, maybe you've looked at your life. i had to look at my life all week with these things okay, and, and say, oh, oh, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't, I don't see that in my life, am I relying too much on that, that night in June and back in 1977 in Ocean City for my salvation, I've got to really look at those things. Let me say some encouraging things that you can examine your life and see, yes, I have these things, and feel some encouragement by examining yourself, testing yourself, and saying, yes, this shows I have saved, saving faith, yes, I can see fruit in my life, Let me give you a couple things. Number one, do you have a love for God? Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says, The sinful mind is hostile to God. The non-Christian resents God. The non-Christian rebels against God. But the one whose mind and heart has been regenerate, who has been saved, is set to love the Lord with all his heart, mind, and strength. His delight is the excellency of God. The first and highest love, affection of our heart is our Heavenly Father. God becomes our chief happiness. Do you love God? Do you love his nature? Do you love his glory? Do you love his name? Do you love his kingdom? Do you love his holiness? Do you love his will? Supreme love for God is an evidence of true faith. Is your heart lifted when you come and sing sing praises? Or do you just go through the motions? When we recite the Apostles' Creed, do you say, these are things that I believe because God is sovereign, he is powerful. Does that stir your heart? When you read his word, do you rejoice? Do you find comfort when you read his word, even when it says you'll suffer and there'll be trials, but my grace is sufficient. When you are the weakest, what happens? Then my strength is made perfect in you. Do you love our Heavenly Father? Secondly, do you have a hatred of sin not just a conviction of sin or a feeling of guilt but do you hate sin proper love for god involves hatred of the things that god hates okay if you're going to love god you've got to hate the same things that god hates he hates sin if i said to you that, that i love my wife but i really don't care what happens to her what would you think you do really don't love your wife Okay? If I say, I love God, but I don't care what he thinks. I don't care what he says is right and wrong, would that be evidence that I actually love God? But if I say to you that I love God and I hate sin, I hate the things that he hates, I want to pursue only the things that he loves, yes, I do it imperfectly, but this is the path that I want to go on, you would say that's demonstration of the love of God. You must hate sin. Now, what grieves you more? Your own misfortune or your own sin? Now think about that. What grieves you more when bad things happen to you or when you do bad things? I hated this one this week. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I just sat and I stared at that. I, I found it, you know, somebody had written it and I found it and I thought, oh. Why did I find this one? Okay. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't I find something else? What, what do I hate more? When bad things happen to me or when I do bad things? We have to have a hatred of sin. We have to hate it when we do bad things. We have to hate it when we are disobedient. God hates sin. We have to hate sin. Number three, genuine humility. Am I humble? Humility is the opposite of pride. We dealt a lot with pride and, and humility last week. It doesn't mean that I'm a doormat for society. It doesn't mean that I let the world take advantage of me. But it means I understand God's sovereign power in this world and I submit to it. He is in control. I want to walk humbly before my God. Four, do I have a devotion to God's glory? True faith, true saving faith says whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do it what? the glory of god the chief end of man is to glorify god and enjoy him forever do i love god's glory do i seek god's glory number five continual prayer you think oh well scripture says we're always to be in a state of prayer jonathan edwards one of of my heroes had a sermon and, and you know his his sermons were always hard Hypocrites are deficient in the duty of secret prayer. Hypocrites are deficient in the duty of secret prayer. Hypocrites love to pray publicly because that's what hypocrites do to impress everybody else. But when they're alone, the question is, do they pray alone? And that's what Edwards was getting at. Do you have a personal, private prayer life? When you are alone, are you before the Lord humbly seeking his face? Do you pray? Do you study the word when nobody else is looking? That is evidence of faith. Number six, selfless love. John, the apostle says, if you don't love your neighbor, your brother, or one in need, how are we to believe that you love God? If you don't demonstrate this love to others, how is it that we can trust that you love our Heavenly Father? By this, men will know that we are the true disciples by our love for one another. Do we demonstrate love? Do you say, do you not just say, I believe, but my belief causes me to act in, in a fashion that demonstrates the same type of love and grace that God has showered upon me? Seven, separation from the world. Now, I know we all get up in the morning we leave our house, many of us we go and we are in the midst of the world. We have to be involved in the things of the world. Okay. But the question comes to us: What would we give up first? Things of the world or things of God? What do we make more time for in our lives, the things of the world or the things of God? I told you, I didn't like this at all this week, okay? But this is what he says to us. Are we separated from the world? Do we love God so much that we'll put the things of the world on hold to pursue the things of God? Oh, I'd like to be here and here and here, but you know what? Here are some needs that the the Lord has laid in front of me, so I'm going to put these needs in my life on hold, or these goals, or these desires, or these things that I want, I'm going to put on hold and pursue these things for the kingdom. For the kingdom. Eight, spiritual growth. If you're a true Christian, you'll be a growing Christian means grow in knowledge of the Lord, grow in intimacy with the Lord. If he has begun a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. Okay, that is clear. You'll be more and more perfected in the things of God. Can you look back in your life and see how you have grown from one level of spirituality to another level? Whether it's last week or last year or ten years ago. Or do you look back and you say, well, I don't think I'm any more mature than I was ten years ago. That's a problem. That's a problem you see a, a decreasing frequency of sin in your life? That's evidence of spiritual growth. I sin less and less. I desire to sin less and less. I seek more and more the things of holiness and of God's grace. Last one. Obedience. Oh. Do we more and more put aside our desire and walk in obedience to the desire of our Heavenly Father. Every branch will bear fruit. And if it's not bearing fruit, what does the Lord do to it? He cuts it off. He cuts it off. Why were we created? Ephesians chapter 2. To do the good works that God had prepared for us to do Beforehand, When? Before the foundations of the earth. You have been saved so that you might glorify God. God did not come down and save us because he didn't have anything else to do or because he liked us so much that he wanted us as company. He is perfect in all things. We are imperfect. He has saved us that we might give him glory in our lives. That we might walk in obedience to him. Test yourselves, examine yourselves. Are there objective evidences that you are in the faith? Let's pray. Lord, these are are difficult things if we're going to be honest with ourselves. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are in the faith perfectly. But, Lord, as we look at our lives, maybe this will be the motivation to put aside some of those things, some of those things that, that have held us back, some of those things that we have purposely held on to because we didn't want to let them go. They were old sins that we've hung on to because they were our friends and we need to let them go. We need to let those patterns of behavior, those attitudes, those thoughts, we have to let them go and flee from them and pursue righteousness and holiness. That we might give evidence in every day of our lives that we are in the faith. That we just don't profess it, that we just don't proclaim it, but we live it, we eat it, we breathe it. All that we desire is your glory. And you have gifted us in certain ways that we can go out and work and live and raise families in fashions that will evidence that. Come upon each of us today, Lord, that we would examine our lives. That we would discard those things that are not showing our faith. That we would rejoice in those things that give evidence and that we would pursue them. Lord, for those who are believers today. We pray that we might be convicted, hate our sin, move towards those things which you love. That we might continue on that path. Lord, for those perhaps who have come here who maybe are not believers, they thought they were. Maybe they have just been enculturated. Maybe they have just been around all the time or maybe they thought they were. But as they examine their lives, they say, I don't evidence those things. Lord, come with your Holy Spirit upon them today. Rain your grace upon them, Lord, that they would know of your salvation, that their hearts would be enlivened to the things of Christ, that their minds turned from the things of the world and focused upon you, that they would be set loose from the chains of this world that have bound them, that they would walk in the freedom of Christ, Lord, that they may walk in obedience and holiness, that they might now test themselves and see, yes, I am in the faith. Lord, our desire is that you be seen. And our greatest glory is when people look at us and say, there is someone who in word and deed demonstrates their faith in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Our prayer is, hold us who wait before thee, near to the heart of God. Let's stand as we sing number 35, near to the heart of God.